Hey guys, this is Brie. You are listening to Brief, and we are doing Fahrenheit 451, and by we, I mean I. I love this book. I think it's fantastic. Just as an FYI, there is a movie that I think HBO made. It's on HBO right now, and it stars Michael B. Jordan. As a warning, it doesn't really follow the book, like, at all, but it's Michael B. Jordan. (laughs) So, like, it's worth a watch because you get to watch Michael B. Jordan for two hours, but I wouldn't recommend watching it until after you're done covering Fahrenheit 451 in your class because I feel like you'll get confused because the movie basically just took a tiny shell of the book and just, like, ran with it in a totally different direction. Okay, back to the book. I'm going to go over context and a little bit about Ray Bradbury. We're not going to go into it very much. Okay, Fahrenheit 451, written by Ray Bradbury. He was born in the 1920s in America. He lived till he was 91. He's most commonly known for this book, Fahrenheit 451, which was published in 1953. It's a science fiction novel, and it's about burning books. So it's like a future world where books have become non-essential So they banned them and they consider them false and corrupting. It's pretty interesting because Bradbury predicted a lot of things in the future. So again, this was the 1950s, but he predicted flat screen TVs and earbuds, which he calls them seashells, but they're basically AirPods. Also like 24 hour ATMs and a lot of other things. Oddly enough, when this book started being read in schools, the publisher (laughs) censored it. So this book is, it's not all about censoring, and I'll get into that later, but there is obviously an element of censoring because they've, they're just burning books so that we don't have the chance to read them. So the publisher, when this book was put into schools, they took out swear words, they took out the word abortion, and a lot of other things, and when Bradbury found out, he demanded that they return it to its original form, obviously. It's a book about censoring. You can't, you can't censor it. Um, anyway, so that's a little bit about him. Now I'm going to go into major characters. There's not a ton. There's only about five that you need to know about. So the main character is Guy Montag. The whole book he's referred to as Montag. So that's what I'll call him. But he's a firefighter. He's married to Mildred. And as a firefighter in this world, they burn books. Uh, They actually burn the house that has the books in them because it's illegal to have books. And he becomes curious about books and about the world, I guess, in general after he meets this girl named Clarice. He starts questioning his happiness and he has a secret. He's been hiding books in his air vent that he collects from the houses that he burns. So his wife is Mildred. All she does all day is watch TV. And when she's not watching TV, she has her seashell AirPods. They're not AirPods. They're called seashells in this book, but they are AirPods. Um, She has them in her ears and they're constantly talking like the radio, whatever music. I don't really know, but it's always talking to her. She wears them even in the middle of the night, kind of doesn't even sleep. She just like has these seashells in and closes her eyes. In the very beginning of the book, she tries to overdose. She takes a ton of pills. Montag calls the police. They pump her stomach, but it's a weird machine. Anyway, they take away her memory of overdosing. So she she thinks she's happy, but clearly she wasn't if she was trying to overdose. The next character is Clarice McClellan, who is the girl that Montag meets that makes him curious. She's 17. She lives next door. 
and she's super different from anyone else. And she meets him on the road, just on the street. She's following him a lot and he feels like he's being followed every day after work or before work and finally catches her. But she's different because she likes to take walks and she likes to sit and think. And everyone in this world is nonstop going. The government kind of makes it that way so that no one can sit and think they don't have time. You know, they're always playing sports or driving really fast. Like they don't have a speed maximum in this world. They have a speed minimum. So you have to drive at least like 60 miles an hour at all times. If not, you'll get pulled over. It's really weird. Anyway, so she lives next door and they become friends and she's the one who kind of makes Montag think about his life and whether or not he's happy. The next character is Captain Beatty. He is Montag's fire captain. Montag and Beatty are sort of friends. Beatty is super smart. He's full of knowledge and advice and he's always quoting books, which is super interesting because he's a firefighter. But I guess back before books were banned, he read a lot and just kind of has a lot of things memorized. So he always is quoting books, but he's also burning them all the time and super against them. So he's super well read, kind of a mystery. Honestly, not I'm not convinced about his stance on books and reading, but we'll get into that later. The next or last character is Professor Faber. He's an old man that Guy meets in a park one day and Faber opened up to him and started quoting books to him and like gives him his card and leaves. And Faber is the guy that Montag contacts when he starts getting curious about books. Okay, the themes to think about are obviously censorship, the importance of thinking and reading. And then this quote I think is really interesting because you'll find out that it wasn't the government who originally decided to ban books. It was the people. So they just stopped reading and stopped thinking that literature was important. And this quote, it says, you don't have to burn books to destroy a culture, just get people to stop reading them. I want to say that that has like progressively been happening, but I read a study recently that said that book sales are continuously going up over the last few years. So I think that's pretty cool. So there's not chapters, there's parts. So this is part one and it's called The Hearth and the Salamander. And the first line of the book is, it was a pleasure to burn. It opens up, it's third person, so it's an omniscient narrator. He knows everything, so it's not Montag's point of view. Obviously, the main subject of this narrative is a firefighter named Guy Montag. So the narrator talks about Montag's love of burning things. And obviously, those things tend to be books and houses. His helmet has the number 451, and this is symbolic. Um, it doesn't say it right now. I actually don't know that it ever says it, but 451 degrees is the temperature at which books spontaneously burn. And there's been some critique of this. People always just say it's the temperature that a book burns, but it's the lowest temperature that a book will spontaneously burst into flames. And do not quote me on that because I could be wrong. <laughs> but that's what I looked up when I became my own fact checker. That's what I found. Anyway, Montag, in the beginning, he burns a house full of books, takes a shower at the fire station, heads home. And for the past few nights on his walk home, he feels like someone's following him or waiting for him. But every time he rounds the corner, no one's there. And this night, he walks really quietly because he wants to catch whoever is watching him. And so he stops before he turns and he finds this girl standing there. He catches her by surprise, says hi. 
she's looking at his jacket. I guess he's wearing a jacket, but it has a salamander on his arm. And then there's a phoenix disc on his chest. And those are the marks of a fireman. Montag tells her that he's a firefighter and that's what the patches symbolize and she tells him that she would have known that he was a firefighter with her eyes closed because he smells like kerosene. So her name is Clarice and she's his new neighbor. She's 17 years old and she tells him right in the beginning, I'm not afraid of you at all. And he seems confused by this and then she tells him that a lot of people are afraid of firemen. I don't think he really knew that and he's super intrigued by her. So she asks him how long he's been a firefighter. He tells her he's been a firefighter for 10 years. He started when he was 20 and now he's 30. And she asks him if he's ever read any books before he burns them. And he is like, um, no, that's against the law. (laughs) He realizes that Clarice is super curious and she starts asking a lot of questions. She tells him that a long time ago, firemen didn't start fires. They put fires out. And Montag tells her that this is ridiculous and that houses have always been fireproof. But she insists that they didn't used to be fireproof and that firefighters were actually ones who put out fires and didn't start them. Okay, I just realized I've been saying firefighter and fireman interchangeably, but in this book, they are only referred to as firemen because it wouldn't make sense for them to be called firefighters because they don't fight fires, they start fires. So if I say firefighter, I mean fireman. So then she tells Montag, every time he answers one of her questions, he doesn't stop to think, he just answers it right away. And he feels insulted by this. And so she changes the subject and talks about cars. Cars are interesting. They call them beetles and jet cars, depending on who's talking. But she says, have you ever watched jet cars racing on the boulevards down that way? I sometimes think drivers don't know what grass is or flowers because they've never seen them slowly. If you showed a driver a green blur, oh yes, he'd say that's grass. A pink blur, that's a rose garden. White blurs are houses. Brown blurs are cows. My uncle drove slowly on a highway once. He drove 40 miles an hour and they jailed him for two days. Isn't that funny and sad too? Like I said before, they have a minimum speed limit and so everyone drives fast, everything is fast, they don't stop to notice anything and that's kind of how their world is and Clarice is different because she stops, literally stops to smell the flowers. Montag tells her that she thinks too much and she tells him that she doesn't watch the parlor walls and the parlor walls are TVs and this is the flat screen television I was telling you about. They call them walls. Their whole parlor will be every wall. They have four walls and they're all TVs if they can afford them, right? So Montag has three. He doesn't use them, but his wife does. And she sits in the parlor and she she watches them all day. Clarice says she doesn't watch the parlor walls. She doesn't go to fun parks is what she calls them. And so she has a lot of time to think. She tries to make Montag think uh, and she tells him a few like, did you knows? And one of them is that there's dew on the grass in the morning. So she's trying to get him to think. And they get to Clarice's house and her family is on the porch talking. And Montag finds that super odd because that's not a normal thing that people do. And Clarice tells him that they do it all the time. And he's like, what what do you even talk about? Like, what would you even talk about? She runs inside and she calls back to him and asks him if he's happy. But before he can answer, she goes in the house and he just sits there even more confused. So he goes home and he goes inside and he's thinking about Clarice and he he's like, why would she why would she question my happiness? Of course I'm happy. Everyone's happy. And he briefly looks up at the ventilator grill in the wall and he thinks 
to himself, he suddenly remembers that there's something hidden behind it, which I told you already is books. So Montag thinks, he thinks Clarice is annoying, or maybe not her, that she's annoying, but he's annoyed by her. He's annoyed that he's even thinking about her. He wonders how she could have such a strong effect on him in such a short amount of time. They literally only spent a couple of minutes together, but he thinks about it and he realizes that he's not happy at all. It says he was not happy. He said the words to himself over and over. He recognized this as the true state of affairs. He wore his happiness like a mask and the girl had run across the lawn with the mask and there's no way of going to knock on her door and ask for it back. So he's screwed now, basically, because he realized that he's not happy and he can't pretend anymore that he is. So he walks into his bedroom. It's nighttime. It's dark. He says he knows what he'll find there. His wife doing what she always does. I told you before, she doesn't really sleep. She just puts her headphones in and listens to what he calls the thimble radios and an electronic ocean sound. And sometimes it's music and talk and music and talk coming in and out. And and he says she just doesn't sleep. Her name's Mildred and she does this every night. As he walks in the darkness, he, he hits something, like he kicks something as he's walking in their room. And he realizes that it's his wife. And he sees that she took about 30 sleeping pills and she's barely breathing. So he panics and obviously calls the emergency line and two men come to his house and and it's not an ambulance they're not doctors uh, but these two men come to his house and they have two machines and one of the machines sounds like a stomach pump but like more advanced and it takes all the drugs out of her system but it says it had an eye that could gaze into the soul of the person that it was pumping and the second machine is one that pumps all the blood out of your body and then replaces it with new blood and some sort of serum that they don't specify what it does. But basically what you find out is that her memory is erased. So she doesn't remember taking 30 sleeping pills and trying to kill herself. Like I said, they're not doctors. They don't seem like they care at all about the fact that this is a human. It doesn't register that they're even saving someone. They just do their work and then they ask Montag for the $50 that they owe him. And he asks if she's going to be okay. And they say, sure, she'll be okay. We got all the mean stuff out of her. And it's now in our suitcases. And he says, it can't get at her now. As I said, you would take out the old and put in the new and you're okay. So they took out not only the drugs, but all of the sadness or unhappiness that she was feeling and just put good back in. And Montag's like, why didn't you send a doctor? And he says, doctors aren't needed anymore now that they have these machines. And they created these machines a few years ago because they were getting so many overdose patients. It says nine or ten a night they were getting. So they invented these machines in order to save them and then try to prevent it from happening again. But they're just covering it up, right? Eventually, Mildred will realize that she's unhappy again. They tell Montag that they have to leave because they got another call. And he says, someone else just jumped off the cap of a pillbox, which is just like so terrible. It just seems like they have no feeling at all. They're just so desensitized. And Montag calls the sedation meds that they gave her liquid melancholy. So after the men leave, Montag watches his wife for a while. He has the urge to cross the street and listen to what Clarice and her family are talking about. So he goes over, but he doesn't knock on the door. He just listens for a while and he hears Clarice's uncle talking about how humans have become disposable. And then after a while, he goes back home and gets into bed and he says out loud, I don't know anything anymore. And then he takes a sleeping pill. 
So the next morning, Montag wakes up and he finds Mildred in the kitchen cooking breakfast. He says she seems to have no recollection of the overdose last night, but she complains that she's super hungry and feels hungover. Later that afternoon, he confronts his wife about the bottle of sleeping pills she took. And she says, why would I do something like that? And Montag tells her that the bottle was empty. And she just keeps asking. She's like, why would I do something like that? And she's like, never, I would never do that in a billion years. So Montag changes the subject finally. And Mildred tells him that today she'll be participating in a play that shows on their walls. So the the walls have the ability to interact with the people watching them. And they've somehow figured out how to manufacture or I guess maybe CGI the person's the person talking. They CGI their um, mouths to say specific people's names. So whoever's watching the TV, it will say like Mildred, right? Anyway, so she complains to him that she wants the fourth wall installed. So I said before they have three walls, but she wants the fourth one because it will be a better experience for her. And Montag tells her that they can't afford it. He says it costs one third of his yearly pay to get one wall installed. But Mildred doesn't really care. She's like, it's $2,000 and I think you should consider me sometimes. If we had a fourth wall, why it'd be just like this room wasn't ours at all, but all kinds of exotic people's rooms. She's super obsessed with it, but she suggests that they can go without a few things in order to get the TV. And Montag reminds her that they're already going without a few things because they just bought the third wall two months ago. They argue about that, and then he leaves for work and he meets Clarice on the street on his way. It's raining outside, and Clarice is letting the rain fall on her face and catching it in her mouth. And she tells Montag to try, and he says, he says, What do you do? Go around trying everything once? And she says sometimes twice, which is just crazy to him. On the way, she finds a dandelion. She tells him a tale about how if you rub it under your chin, if it sticks on your chin, so if like the yellow of the dandelion rubs off on your chin, it means that you're in love. And she does it to herself. But when she does it to Montag, it doesn't rub off on his chin and he gets upset because he's like, of course, I'm in love. I'm in love with my wife. And she apologizes for upsetting him. And then tells him that she's on her way to see her psychiatrist. And she says, they make me go. I make up things to say to the psychiatrist. They want to know why I go out and hike around in the forests. They want to know what I do with my time. I tell them that sometimes I just sit and think, but I won't tell them what. Montag tells Clarice that she's peculiar and tells her that she's more mature than his wife, who is almost twice her age. And she tells him that he's peculiar because he's not like the other firemen. She says, I've seen a few. When I talk, you look at me. When I said something about the moon, you looked at the moon. The others would never do that. No one has any time for anyone else. You're one of the few people who put up with me. She leaves to go to the psychiatrist. And after she does, Montag tilts his head back and tastes the rain. So he gets to work. And here we learn about this thing called the mechanical hound. Basically, it's a robot dog with eight spider legs, and honestly, nothing has ever sounded more terrifying. He says that it's alive, and it's not alive. And on boring nights at the firehouse, the firemen let the hound loose on the rats. So the hound catches them in his paws instantly, and then this is how he kills something. So it says, with a four-inch hollow steel needle plunged down from the middle of the hound, 
and it like stabs into whatever it's killing and injects massive jolts of morphine and another drug that I don't know what it is, procaine. Montag is fascinated by the hound and when he gets to work today he goes down and sits in front of the kennel and says hi to it. He touches its muzzle and the hound wakes up and growls at him. And not only that, the hound stares at him and Montag sits and watches as the needle <laughs> starts extending. Clearly the hound is not a fan of Montag. And he steps back and he's like super scared and grabs the fireman pole that takes him up to the next floor. So when he grabs the pole to go up to the f- next floor, the hound had started stepping out of its kennel and was clearly coming for him. And so he's freaked out. And once he's safe upstairs, he tells his captain that the hound had threatened him and that it's not the first time that it's happened. The captain doesn't really think much of it because the hound doesn't, he says it doesn't like or dislike. It just functions. It's only copper and wire storage batteries and electricity. So they start discussing the functions of the hound and how through combinations of chemicals, the hound could technically be set to react towards a person like he did to Montag. But the captain assures him that he says he'll have the hound checked out. And Montag thinks about what's hiding in the ventilator grill in his house. And if someone knew about that, they could be threatening him with the hound. So he's super nervous. So every day on his way to work and on his way home, Montag sees Clarice outside. She's always doing something weird. And she walks into the corner every morning and back to his house at night. And one day he asks her how it could feel like he's known her for years. And she says because I like you and I don't want anything from you and because we know each other. So one day Montag asks why Clarice isn't in school and she says that they say at school that she's antisocial. She says they don't miss her. Clearly the school has an odd definition of social, but they consider it social to sit in a room full of people and watch TV. Their school lessons consist of TV, sports, transcription history, painting, and more sports. <laughs> and Clarice says they never ask questions. And I'm going to read this paragraph. It's on 29 and 30, I guess, if you have my book. But it says they never ask questions, or at least most don't. They just run the answers at you. Bing, 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 and us sitting there for four more hours of film teacher. That's not social to me at all. It's a lot of funnels and a lot of water poured down the spout and out the bottom and them telling us it's wine when it's not. They run us so ragged by the end of the day we can't do anything but go to bed or head for a fun park to bully people around, breaking window panes in the window smasher place or wreck cars in the car wrecker place with the big steel ball or go out in the cars and race on the streets trying to see how close you can get to lampposts. I guess I'm everything they say, I'm alright. I haven't any friends. That's supposed to prove I'm abnormal. But everyone I know is either shouting or dancing around like wild or beating up one another. Do you notice how people hurt each other nowadays? And then she says, she says, I'm afraid of children my own age. They kill each other. Did it always used to be that way? My uncle says no. Six of my friends have been shot in the last year alone. Ten of them died in car wrecks. I'm afraid of them and they don't like me because I'm afraid. My uncle says his grandfather remembered when children didn't kill each other, but that was a long time ago and they had things different. They believed in responsibility, my uncle says. So it's just like normal and I don't know if people get punished for killing people or not. It never really specifies, but there's a few times in the novel where children or kids, teenagers, whatever, try or succeed in killing someone and it just seems like it's something that is normal. 
Montag says that she sounds old and she says sometimes I'm ancient and that's when she says I'm afraid of children my own age. And she says her favorite thing to do is to watch and observe people and find out what they're like. She says that no one says anything different from anyone else. That week at the firehouse, Montag finds out that a fireman in Seattle seemed to have set a hound on himself and died, which freaks him out more because then he realizes that a hound can actually be set on someone. And Clarice is gone all of a sudden, and he feels the fact that she's gone. His routine has been disrupted, and he's sad, and he wonders where Clarice went. He's having trouble focusing on his work, and one day he's at the firehouse playing cards with the other firemen, and in the background, the radio is on, and it says, War may be declared any hour. This country stands ready to defend its dot dot dot, and it goes out but Montag only hears it for a second and no one really pays attention to it but the fire chief Beatty talks to him and Montag feels a sudden guilt but he can't figure out why and he looks at the four other firemen and realizes that for the first time that they all look the same and he wonders do they become firemen because they are sort of forced to because they look like firemen or do they all just look alike because they've been firemen for so long so Montag asks Beatty about the library they fixed quote-unquote but he means burned last week and asks what happened to the man who owned it and Beatty tells him that they took him to the insane asylum and Montag's like why like he wasn't insane and Beatty says any man is insane who thinks he can fool the government Montag asks if it was always like this so he is going back to what Clarice told him how firemen didn't always burn houses that they used to put fires out some of the firemen pull out their rule books and in the rule book there's a brief history in the front and it says that firemen were established in 1790 to burn English influenced books in the colonies and that the first fireman was Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> which obviously isn't true. But at that moment, the alarm sounds, and so they rush off to start another fire. They get to this home of a woman, and the firemen grab her immediately, even though she's not, like, running away or trying to resist or anything. And Montag, or the narrator, I guess, says that normally police get there before the firemen, and they take the person away, so the firemen don't have to deal with the people. So they're caught off guard because the woman is still there. And Montag says that she's staring off into nothing and seems to be mouthing something as if she's trying to remember it. And then out loud she says, Play the man, Master Ridley. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. This is a quote from a man named Hugh Latimer who was burned a long time ago for heresy. If you don't know what that is, it's just a belief or opinion contrary to like orthodox religions like Christianity. So at the house, Beatty asks where the books are. The woman tells him if they've come to her house, then they should already know where the books are, which is true. Beatty at this moment looks down at the telephone card and it says the books were in the attic. And so the firemen go up there, start throwing books down. And Montag is struggling super hard again. Because again, normally the person is already gone. And he's thinking to himself, he's like, normally you aren't hurting anyone. You are hurting only things. And since things really can't be hurt and things don't scream or whimper as this woman might begin to scream or cry out, there is nothing to tease your conscience later. Montag catches one of the books as it falls down. It opens and he reads the line, Time has fallen asleep in the afternoon sunshine. And that's a line from a poem written by Alexander Smith. So Montag watches as his hand 
clutches the book against his chest and is amazed because his mind had nothing to do with it. He says his hand betrayed him as it put the book under his arm. The firemen start pouring kerosene on the books and they try to get the woman to leave, but she refuses. And she says, you can't ever have my books. And Beatty's like, you know the law, but she won't come. And the firemen start to walk out the door, but Montag stays near the woman and he's like, you're not going to leave her here, are you? And Beatty says, you know, she won't come. And Montag's like, well, then force her. But Beatty says, no, these fanatics always try suicide. The pattern is familiar. And Montag tries himself to get the woman to come. She says no over and over again. I want to stay here. Beatty begins counting down from 10. The woman's like, stop counting. And she opens her hand to reveal a match. So she's holding a match in front of all these books that are covered in kerosene. So all the firemen run out of the house. Beatty backs away slowly. And the woman tells Montag to go. And he finally backs out of the house. The woman comes out on the porch. And Montag realizes that alarms only come at night. And he wonders if it's because fires are more of a spectacle at night and more of a show because all the neighbors are outside watching it. Anyway, the woman strikes the match against the porch railing and the house goes up in flames. So on the drive home, nobody spoke or looked at each other. So the salamander that's on their arm, that's what the fire truck is called. The reason that they call the truck a salamander is because there's an ancient belief that salamanders live in fires and that they can't be burned. And that's why it's symbolic of the firefighters in their fire truck. Montag's the first one to speak and he repeats what the woman said about that Master Ridley quote. And he is wondering what she meant. Beatty answers him. I told you how he has a lot of knowledge of books, but he says... A man named Latimer said that to Nicholas Ridley as they were being burned alive at Oxford for heresy in 1555. And Beatty says because he's a fire captain, he's full of bits, he calls it bits and pieces of knowledge. Okay, so when Montag gets home, he pulls the book out of his coat. He talks about how his hand was what started it all. And he says he can feel the poison, like he feels like he's infected and the the poison started in his hand and now it's working its way up his wrists. And he puts the book under his pillow and he climbs in bed. And his wife makes a noise as he gets in bed. This, I'm pretty sure they sleep in separate beds. But it says, he lay far across the room from her on a winter island separated by an empty sea. And anyway, he just feels super lonely and like not connected to his wife at all. And she starts talking to him, but he's not listening. He says that she sounds like a toddler stringing words together. And he's super upset about what happened that night, about the fire and the woman who started it and killed herself and everything. And his wife gets up and walks over to his bed and puts her hand on his face. And she can feel that he's been crying. She doesn't say anything, but she stays there for a little bit and then she goes back to bed. And later that night, he looks over at his wife and he feels like she's a stranger He can tell she's awake, and so he asks her if she remembers when they met for the first time, but neither of them can remember it at all, even though it was only 10 years ago. And she gets up to take a sleeping pill, and Montag wonders how many she's already taken that night. And then he thinks back to the night when she tried to overdose and remembers thinking that if she had died, he wouldn't have cried. And he wonders, he says, how do you get so empty? Who takes it out of you? He starts thinking about the distance between him and Mildred, And he says that the TV walls separate them. And the people on the TV, they refer to them as their relatives, like their aunts and uncles and cousins, but they're 
were literally just like actors. And he notes that they call it a living room. And he says it's the right label because that's literally what people do. They live in that room with the TV walls for a company. And he says no matter when he comes home, the walls are always talking to Mildred. He describes what he's feeling as being thrown from a cliff and falling but never touching the bottom. And you fell so fast that you didn't touch the sides either. Never quite touched anything. So he's lying in bed and he uh, reaches over to Mildred and he takes the seashell out of her ear. He asks her about Clarice because he hasn't seen her for a while. She tells Montag that she is dead, that Clarice died, that her family left and she died. And Montag doesn't believe her. Mildred's like, no, I'm pretty sure she died. And he's super upset for not telling her sooner because it's been four days and Mildred says that she forgot. She puts the seashell back in her ear and goes to sleep. And Montag looks out the window and he sees a shadow out there and he imagines that it's the hound. But he doesn't get up to look. Anyway, in the morning, Montag is super sick. He has a fever and Mildred is shocked because he never gets sick and says that he needs to go to work, but he refuses. And he asks her to go get him medicine, and she's kind of rude. She's like, go get it yourself. And he asks her to turn off the parlor walls, and she says no, and he asks her to turn it down, and she pretends to turn it down, uh, but he knows that she didn't. And finally she gets in the medicine and asks if anything had happened at work last night, and she's shocked because, like I said, she's shocked because he's never been sick before. And he puts his hands to his face and smells the kerosene and then throws up all over the rug. And he tells Mildred that they burned a a thousand books last night and a woman. She doesn't seem phased at all by this information. In fact, she's like, well, at least this rug is washable. (laughs) Anyway, um, Montag asks her to call Captain Beatty and tell him that he's not coming into work tonight. But she says she won't. Montag is afraid to call him because he knows that the captain will talk him into coming. He then asks Mildred how she would feel if he quit his job for a while. She says, you can't give up everything for one woman, like one job, one woman who died. And he's like, you should have seen her. And she said, she's nothing to me. She shouldn't have had books. It was her responsibility. She should have thought of that. And they argue about it for a while. And Montag says to her, He's like, there must be something in books, things we can't imagine. To make a woman stay in a burning house, there must be something there. You don't stay for nothing. So Mildred tries to get him to forget about the woman, but he can't. He says he's been trying all night and he can't forget. And Mildred tells him that he should have thought about that before he became a fireman. And Montag realizes that he didn't really have a choice. His father and grandfather were firemen, and that was just what he was always going to do. So he talks about the books and he thinks about the men who wrote the books and how long it must have taken them and then we just burn them and Mildred tells him to leave her alone (laughs) she's like leave me alone and he refuses he says we need not to be let alone we need to really be bothered once in a while how long is it since you were really bothered by something and just then Captain Beatty shows up at their house obviously He comes inside and he talks to Montag while he lays in bed. And Montag still has the book lying under his pillow. So he's kind of freaking out. Beatty says that he knew Montag would be sick today and ask for the night off. And he's like, you can take the night off if you want. And then Beatty asks him when he thinks he'll be better. And Montag's like, I don't know, a day, two days, maybe a week. And Beatty says that every fireman gets to this point and that they just need to understand the history of it all. So he goes through the whole history. He says this 
this all started around a thing called the Civil War, when things began to have mass and be mass produced. He says the world became overcrowded with movies, magazines, and radio. Books became less important to people. And he says in the 20th century, you know, he says, speed up your camera, books cut shorter, condensations, digests, tabloids, everything boiled down to a gag, the snap ending. And this is interesting because all the books were cut into like short summaries, which is pretty much what I'm doing here. But the overall point of this book is not that. So I'm going to try to, I'm going to try and say what I'm doing is not that, but I am, I'm summarizing books. But basically saying everything, you know, Hamlet, he says, is turned into a one-page digest. So that's kind of how the world started going. And then in the background, Mildred gets up and she starts, like, cleaning the room. She tries to get Montag to sit up to adjust his pillow, but he won't move. And she tries, like, a few different times. She, like, won't give up. Give up. And so he finally yells at her to leave him alone. But she's already has her hand under the pillow and has felt the book. And she like is super shocked and leaves the room. Meanwhile, Beatty is still talking and he talks about how life is so immediate. And they only teach now in schools, they only teach what's necessary for jobs. So they're all like trade schools now. Then he says, you know, they started emphasizing sports more. They started putting more pictures in books. Everything had to be immediate. And Beatty tells Montag that all of the minorities in the world started needing to be catered to. And he says, he says, quote, don't step on the toes of the dog lovers, the cat lovers, doctors, lawyers, merchants, chiefs, Mormons, Baptists, Unitarians, second generation Chinese, Swedes, Italians, Germans, Texans, Brooklynites, Irishmen, people from Oregon or Mexico. The people in this book, this play, this TV series are not meant to represent any actual people, blah, 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 anywhere. And that's super interesting. Like, if you think about our world right now, like nobody's trying to censor anything, but as far as books, but it's just super interesting that Bradbury kind of knew that this sort of thing would happen. Also, something super funny is in this paragraph that I'm about to read to you, he's talking about what I just read about everyone being offended by, you know, something in a book or he says, no wonder books stop selling, but the public knowing what it wanted, spending happily, let the comic books survive and the three dimensional sex magazines, of course, (laughs) like what is a three dimensional sex magazine? It sounds actually terrifying. And anyway, so he says it didn't come from the government down. There was no dictum, no declaration, no censorship to start with. Technology, mass exploitation, and minority pressure carried the trick. Today, thanks to them, you can stay happy all the time. You're allowed to read comics, the good old confessions, and trade journals. Beatty keeps talking. He goes on to explain that because of this new wave of censorship and like wanting to be happy all the time, schools started producing more athletes and less intellectuals. And turns out in this world, intellectual is actually a swear word. It's like a dirty word that you're not supposed to say. And then he says to him, wasn't there a bright boy in your class you selected for beatings and tortures after hours? It was the smart kid, right? The intellectual that you beat up in class. So then he says, sorry, I'm reading a lot of what he says because it's important and it's hard to summarize. But Beatty says, we must all be alike. Not everyone born free and equal, as the Constitution says, 
but everyone made equal, each man the image of the other. Then all are happy, for there are no mountains to make them cower to judge themselves against. So, a book is a loaded gun in the house next door. Burn it. Take the shot from the weapon. Breach man's mind. Who knows who might be the target of a well-read man? So, it was decided that houses would be fully fireproofed and then there was no longer a need for firemen. So they gave them a new job. He says, as custodians of our peace of mind, the focus of our understandable and rightful dread and being inferior, official censors, judges, and executors. And so he's still talking, but Mildred comes back in the room and she starts saying something or she's mouthing something, but they can't hear her because the parlor walls are so freaking loud. But Beatty is doesn't really notice her and he keeps saying um he says that our civilization is so large so we can't upset the minorities the world just wants everyone to be happy and life is for fun and pleasure and titillation and that's what this culture provides people so montag is looking at mildred and he he's lip reading what she says but he looks away so that Beatty wouldn't catch him because whatever she was saying was something that Beatty shouldn't be hearing. But he tells them that books offended people, like Little Black Sambo offended black people, so they burned it. But white people were offended by Uncle Tom's cabin, so they burned it. You know, burn the book about cancer, about tobacco, because it offends the cigarette people. And then he keeps going on. And everything he says is just, like, so sad and terrifying. He says, Funerals are an unhappy thing, so they eliminated them. Five minutes after a person's death, he's on his way to the incinerators. A helicopter just, like, picks him up five seconds after he dies and takes him to the incinerator. And ten minutes after a man's dead, he's a speck of black dust. And he says, let's not quibble over individuals or memoriams. Forget them. Burn all, burn everything. Fire is bright and fire is clean. Montag asks him about the girl next door. He's like, what happened to Clarice? And he doesn't mean like what happened to her, like how did she die or disappear or whatever. He means like how did someone like that happen in this world? Because she was different and inquisitive. And Beatty tells him that people like her are bound to happen. And a lot of times it comes from families and environment. He said they've kept a close watch on her family uh, because they come from a long line of people who think. He says that they, you know, as the, like as a government, as a culture, they try really hard in schools to make sure students become how they want them to be. But sometimes the family life is so strong, like Clarice's, uh, that nothing can be done. And so in order to try and correct this, they literally start kindergarten so young that he says they're almost snatching them from the cradle. Beatty's like, we've had a lot of false alarms at Clarice's house, but they never found any books in there. He talks about her uncle, how he had a mixed record. He was antisocial like Clarice. Then he talks about Clarice and Beatty says, she didn't want to know how a thing was done, but why? That can be embarrassing. You ask a lot of things and you wind up very unhappy. With the poor girls better off dead. And he explains that they're usually able to nip this in the bud when they find a curious person like Clarice. And then he's, this is actually terrifying, this next paragraph. He says, If you don't want a man unhappy politically, don't give him two sides to a question to worry him. Give him one. Better yet, give him none. Let him forget that there is such a thing as war. This is how you maintain peace in this world. Cram them full of non-combustible data. Chalk them so damn full of facts they feel stuffed but absolutely brilliant with information. 
Don't give them any slippery stuff like philosophy or sociology to tie things up with. And this is all on page 61, by the way. But Beatty goes on to say that when a man thinks about the universe, they feel lonely. So don't let them think about the universe. Make them always be busy working with their hands so they don't have time to think. He says, so bring on your clubs and parties, acrobats, magicians, daredevils, jet cars, motorcycle, helicopters, sex, heroin, more of everything to do with automatic reflex. And he finishes his speech and he gets up to leave. And he tells Montag that as firemen, they are, quote, the happiness boys and the world depends on them. As he leaves, Beatty turns to say one more thing. He tells Montag that every fireman gets an itch at some point or another. He says he's read a few books in his time, and he says they say nothing you can teach or believe, and they're just nonsense. Montag asks, he's like, what would happen if a fireman accidentally took a book home with him? Like, what would happen to him? And Beatty says, it's a natural error, we would let him keep the book for 24 hours, and if he hasn't burned it by then, we would come burn it for him. Beatty asks if Montag will come in later, and he says he isn't sure, but he thinks to himself that he'll never go in again. Montag watches him leave and looks at the house across the street, remembering that Clarice had told him that houses used to have front porches uh, for people to sit and relax and talk, but now all the houses just have flat fronts because they don't want people sitting and thinking and talking. So in the parlor, once Beatty leaves, Montag and Mildred talk about whether he'll go to work tonight. He says he probably won't, and he tells her that he feels angry. And she says, she tells him to take the car out and drive really fast, because that's what she does when she's feeling mad, and it helps her. And Montag says no, because he wants to feel what he's feeling and not just mask it. He says, I'm so damn unhappy, I'm so mad, and I don't know why. I might even start reading books. And Mildred's like, but won't they put you in jail? He says, yeah, but maybe that will be good before he hurts someone. He says, did you hear Beatty? He knows all the answers. He's right. Happiness is important. Fun is everything. And yet I keep sitting there saying to myself, I'm not happy. I'm not happy. Mildred says that she's happy, but Montag knows that she's not because just a few nights ago is when she tried to overdose. And Montag says he's going to do something, and then he turns to Mildred. He tells her that he has something to show her that he's been hiding for the past year. And he takes her to the air conditioning grill, and he takes out all the books he's hidden, and there's about 20 books. And she backs away, and then finally grabs a book and tries to throw it in the incinerator in the kitchen, but Montag stops her. And he tells her he wants to look at them at least once, and if what Beatty says is true, he'll burn them. And he asks for her help, and he says, if you love me at all, you'll help me. And they sit on the floor near the books and Montag tells her he just needs to know. And they hear someone at the door because the voice, the like doorbell person says, Mrs. Montag, someone here over and over again. But they ignore it thinking that it's Beatty again. And Montag picks up a book and asks if he can begin. And finally the door stops, like the doorbell stops talking. And Montag opens a book, reads a few pages and Mildred responds that it doesn't make any sense. And he says, okay. We'll start over at the beginning. And that's the end of part one and also this episode. So in the next episode, we will cover parts two and three and also go over the themes of the book. So you'll definitely want to listen to that episode as well. Go follow Brief Podcast on Instagram right now so that you can know when we post new books and also send your syllabi to our email hello at briefpodcast.com so that we know what books you need briefed.